Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Very Own Balanced Men. Excited to have you with us for this episode. Thank you all for your patience as we took just a a little bit of a break between recording interviews and uh, we're excited to be back and launch it with a pretty exciting episode. But on top of today's fantastic guest, we have some really exciting episodes on deck, including one of our funniest brothers in the entire country, Steve Hofstetter, and uh, our very own SIGEP CEO, Brian Warren. So if you've been sharing the podcast with other brothers, thank you. But now more than ever, uh, feel free to, to share these episodes. There are some exciting stories uh, and just a lot of fun in these episodes. So give them a share. But today's guest, the, the man of the hour, uh, needs really no introduction, Brother Gary Keith. His SIGEP journey began at the University of Southern California, where he graduated in 1970. Following his undergrad, he then went on to pursue graduate study, spent uh, some several years in the military as well. Um, since all of that, he has had an immensely successful professional career, starting as the national director of marketing communications for an org. And he has been the president of Barry Manilow Productions, president of Kamikaze Music Publishing, and also the president and CEO of Stiletto Entertainment since 1981. Um, In all of these years of his professional career, Brother Keith has a whole slew of accomplishments and the big names that he has worked with goes on and on within theater, television, and recording. This brother has made a dent with his professional career. Within the SIGEP world, uh, he's done pretty much everything. He's served as the mentor for the Tragos Quest to Greece. Uh, he served as the chairman for that as well. He's been on the national board of directors. He is served at, serves as a trustee on the National Board of Trustees for the Sigma Phi Epsilon Educational Foundation, which he's served on since 1991. Um, he also has served as the Grand President for our great fraternity from 2009 to 2011. And as he wrapped up his uh, time as Grand President, he was honored to be a, a recipient of the Order of the Golden Heart. So he is a, an OGH just a fantastic brother, one of our most dedicated volunteers. Um, Between his work within SIGEP World, his professional career, and also uh, his deep philanthropy work in which um, a number of organizations, committees that he he serves on or or donates to, this this brother does it all. This podcast was a, a ton of fun, like I said, to record, and I hope you all enjoy it. All right, the ultimate pairing here, the the brother coming from the cornfield in Iowa and uh, the brother from beautiful Palm Springs, California. How are you, Brother Keith? Thanks for being on here. I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Caleb. Thanks for, thanks for asking. You bet. Oh, there, is it, what, four feet of snow or something where you are? I mean, that's, that's, out here, that's all we think of is there's a lot of snow between here and New York. A lot of Yeah, just a lot of snow in that silly little flyover state, I'm sure. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I really appreciate you being on and there's there's so, so much, uh, not only within your own personal and professional life, but even just your your SIGEP resume um, it is quite impressive. But I, I'd, I'd love to start down memory lane, though. I mean, you you walk on to Southern California's campus there in, in the late 60s. What did that rush process look like for you? How did you even end up deciding to go through rush take us take us through that well you know it's funny in the uh you know in the olden days when i was uh, i got accepted to usc actually kind of on a whim uh, i was going to go to arizona i was going to study architecture and at the last minute i applied to sc and they called and accepted me and i got invited to a couple parties in the summer which you could do um my brother was a older brother was a sigma chi uh, from another school and i had an uncle who was a beta so i was focused on those and when i 
was about 14, I started work at a scout camp on Catalina Island. I was an aquatics instructor, and I got hired by a guy who was about five years older than I was named Scott Bice. Uh, Scott Bice was um, uh, SIGEP at USC, went on to become the dean of the law school at SC for like 20 years. Uh, great guy. So in the back of my head, I kind of heard SIGEP. So somehow I got uh, I got invited to a SIGEP party during the summer. And uh, this is kind of embarrassing because I know the way you guys live your lives now, you dig into everything and do all this research and go, you know, you, make plans and all that stuff. And I walked in, uh, it was up at uh, this kid's house up in the foothills in Hollywood or something. And I walked in and the, in the living room, there was an Academy Award that this guy's dad had won. <laughs> and I thought, ah, this is golden. <laughs> I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, and that night after a few uh, uh, attitude adjusters, uh, they gave me a bid and asked if I wanted to join. And I and I thought, well, based upon all this in-depth research I had done on SIGEP, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> but I so I, I accepted the bid. And truthfully, I had not been on campus yet, uh, wow. which was quite a shock because even though I grew up in Southern California, I had never been to the SC campus, which in those days was down in the uh, pretty bad part of LA. Mm -hmm. And I remember, uh, Buddy followed me down. I, I had a car. He, he had a car. We filled both cars with all my junk. Drove me down to the campus. And I remember standing in the parking lot looking around of where I was going to spend the next four years and uh, wondering whether or not my dad had taken a life insurance policy out on me because it was like, I thought, he's trying to get rid of me. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty funky. Oh, my but, God. Uh, but the counterpoint to all that, and then, you know, I mean, it really, it was, as I said, I'm not too proud of the fact I didn't do much thinking. I just did it on gut level instinct. So long story short, I'm standing in line about uh, two or three days later to get my dorm room assigned. And I'm standing there in line and some guys come up to me and they say, hey, you want to go to a fraternity party? It was a rush party. And I said, oh, I, I, I've already uh, took a bid from SIGEP. So this was in uh, fall of 1966, and one of the guys looked at me and he said, oh, you know Sig Epsom got Jews in their chapter? And I got to admit, Caleb, it, it threw me. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a really uh, kind of upper income, diverse community mm -hmm. of, you know, Hispanic, Asian, uh, black, white, Jewish, everybody lived together and it, it never, I hadn't been exposed to that type of thing before. And I, I remember telling somebody, I didn't know how to react. These guys made that comment that, you know, it was kind of a big deal that, that SIGEP had Jewish guys in the chapter. And I was like, you know, uh, I don't know what to say. I, yeah. Other than I, I was surprised. I mean, it didn't, it obviously didn't matter to me. It was, I didn't, you know, sounds weird, but I hadn't bothered asking everybody what religion they were before I accepted their bid. Yeah. And I didn't really give a shit anyway. So it was kind of weird, but that's, that was life in 66. Wow. And probably the first indication that I had that SIGEP was maybe a little bit different than the yeah. other chapters on campus. Because I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, another fine example of SIGEP continuing to be a, a fraternity of firsts. And wow, I can't imagine sitting there after that comment's been made. And, and you mentioned how that almost reaffirmed that that gut decision, uh, which I'm thankful for the gut decision, uh, that Academy Award placement, all of that leading to you becoming <laughs> a SIGEP. Uh, we can thank our stars on that one. But so, I mean, you join kind of on a whim. Uh, at a just a, a party in the summer before you even step on campus, um, that's that's awesome. What what did the SIGEP experience look like then? Once you were in the chapter, like what was the extent of your involvement as an undergrad? Uh, well, I think like a, you know, it, in in hindsight, I mean, it was USC was a big campus. Uh, you know, in reality, it was only ten thousand kids. I think now it's thirty thousand, but you know. Um, 
coming from a relatively small town in the suburbs of LA and you know, way out in kind of the country of LA. Uh, you know, we lived in orange groves and horses and that kind of thing. And now all of a sudden I was in the, in the ghetto in this, in downtown LA, which hadn't really been my stomping grounds. I think like most people, um, I think probably the same thing today is I was looking for a group of friends or a comfort zone or like-minded individuals who had the same goals. Mm. And, um, you know, we had a, we had a, a, I'd say we had a good time, but that dismisses it sound like all we did was party, which we were pretty good at doing, but it was a pretty good social environment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly amongst what, I don't know what you call it now, amongst my pledge class, we became pretty tight and pretty good friends. Did a lot of crazy stuff, socialized together and, uh, and, you know, kind of got through being away from home and alone and in a weird environment and bonded because of that, which is, I think, still what drives a lot of kids to, you know, we didn't have the yeah. balanced man program or things like that. And even if they had had it, I'm not so sure we would have been smart enough to know what it even meant. You know, we, we, we had it. It just didn't have a name for it yet. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think, oh, my gosh. Um yeah, I agree. Based off of what you've said, you got close with that that recruitment class that you had, your your pledge class in your case, and, and really found that like second family there at uh, USC. Is there you know, like I, a I used to go to a, um, a weekly lecture, and I remember the guy who was old guy, ex Marine Corps pilot, Methodist minister, yeah. fascinating guy, and then once a week he'd have these seminars, and. Uh, he had this concept that I've kind of accepted that he said from the, from the moment they cut the umbilical cord, we go through life wanting to reconnect. Mm. And that's, that's every one of us somewhere has that goal. We try to find something to connect to a lot of it, a lot of it, hopefully a lot of people find it with religion. It's a way to reconnect or yeah. I think the root word of religion is ligare, which is the same as ligament. And so it's a way to reconnect with something. In the case of religion, it's a higher power or belief in something bigger than you are. And so, to, you know, I look at SIGEP, but for a lot of people, it's a way to connect with something again. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're alone, away from home, out of our typical environment. And fortunately, in most cases, it's a positive thing. Yeah. And, you know, kids are going to connect with something. Um, you see that in... Uh, in high school, you see kids will connect to sports or drama club or band or something like that in a good environment. Ideally, most of them connect with something positive. Yeah. Uh, in a bad environment, they connect with a gang. But most kids don't want to be alone. They want something. So we hopefully SIGEP is one of the good things they can connect with. That's a, that's a really good point. I mean, and what did that connection look like for you then? Like you've got your recruitment class and you've got this, this new brotherhood. What did that connection look like for you during college? Um, well, I, you know, like I think we're taught that we tend to look back at life with rose colored glasses or rose tinted glasses. We, your body and mind typically can't recre recreate pain. You know, yeah. you broke your arm when you were five years old. Can you recreate what it felt like? No, you know, you broke your arm. So I look back at my fraternity experience and go, Oh, it was great. <laughs> but I know there were probably some times that weren't, <laughs> you know, and, but those times that weren't made us all stronger and we got through life together. You know, this was also a very weird time. We had, uh, you know, this was in the, the middle of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. uh, absolute turmoil on campus. Um, protests, even USC, that was considered a somewhat conservative campus. Uh, we still had anti-war protests and racial protests. And uh, it's fascinating to me, you look at what's been going on in America in the last six months, and it's terrible and then periodically they will show news footage of the 60s and it was really terrible in, in, 
much more so than what we've experienced recently. And yet, it, I mean, it was, it was, we've forgotten how bad it was. 64, 65, 66, 67. I mean, when, uh, you know, my last year of school was when the kids were killed at Kent state. Oh, wow. And they, um, I forget what month it was. I want to say maybe February or March or something like that. But SC, as I said, a conservative, predominantly, uh, middle of the road, conservative campus. Yeah. Uh, they even closed USC and said you can take your midterm grade and come back for graduation. You don't have to, don't go to class anymore. Wow. Which is, we all, you know, if you had a decent midterm grade, you said, fine, I'm done. And then you just took a couple months off and then showed up to walk for graduation. So it was, you know, imagine that happening now. And yeah. that's why I say in comparison, what we're going through now is much less than what we experienced. Yeah, that's definitely a definitely interesting parallel. Like, how did that? I mean, I can't imagine the atmosphere on campus. What was what was that like within the chapter? I mean, did where are there a few chapter brothers that that went off that that got in in the draft yeah. or? Um, yeah. Wow. Because I I mean, you had uh, you know, Sigep to to its credit has always been a. At least my experience has been most of our chapters are a home to pretty diverse views. Mm -hmm. And so there were guys that, you know, were uh, far left liberal anti-war. And then we had a couple guys in the Marine Corps and a couple guys who were in the ROTC program who were going to be graduating and going into the military. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we were all over the place. Wow. I don't... Um, Funny, interesting I don't remember, even though there were different points of view and very strong points of view, I don't remember dissension within the chapter. Wow. It was almost like that was a safe place. You know, you could sit next to somebody and know that he was out marching for something totally opposite than what you believed in, and yet he was still your brother. And you still, that that bond was stronger than political differences, which I think to a great extent I've seen in the last six months is there's more that ties us together than there is that tears us apart. And I think yeah. that's a up. Yeah. Well, and it, it reminds me of, I mean, your special message at Conclave to, to the brothers that had gathered following the, the divisive 2016 election. Um, that whole point that you make there, you know, this this brotherhood is stronger than some of these, um, these that tie of brotherhood is stronger than any division, whether it's political or or, or any of that. But mm -hmm. that's awesome. So you've got a pretty a pretty fascinating roller coaster of four years that started from an Academy Award uh, uh, <laughs> stirring that um, to you know really really challenging times and the turmoil that you mentioned. So. You end up graduating, and as as you said in your own words, like you you left the fraternity that was just a little to the right of Attila the Hun, uh, mm -hmm. and so did you go off to grad school? You do a few years in the military. What I'm curious is, you know, what led you back to SIGEP? What got you back involved um, after you left SC? Well, there was a. I, I hope his legacy hasn't been lost. I hope you know the name Chuck White. Mm. Uh, so Chuck was. I guess executive director for a long time, and then he moved over and basically created the SIGEP Foundation with uh, with Ed Zollinger. And you know, I was away from it, and I, I, I was, you know, only half joking when I said none of us had any comprehension about national headquarters or any. You know, we were doing our own little thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember, oh for a while, maybe five, 10 years after I graduated, I would get these letters from this guy named Chuck White asking me to send $25. And it, it felt like every month I'd get a letter asking for $25. And, you know, eventually I caught on, it took me a while, that if I'd send him the $25, then he wouldn't write me for another year. So, so I send him $25. <laughs> I just bought a year, I wanna hear from this dude. <laughs> So 
it went on forever. And then, I mean, so 20 years. And I was at a um, party up in the hills, up in Hollywood Hills, and joking around uh, this guy, uh, Tom Allardyce. And I said, what do you do? Well, you know, I went to the school in Northern Texas, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I went to work for my fraternity. And I said, oh, what fraternity? He said, oh, I was an RD. I said, what's an RD? He said, oh, I was a regional director for SIGET. I said, oh, come on, give me a break. He said, no, no. I, was, I said, well, I was a SIGET. He said, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, he said, do you do anything with it? He said, no. I said, what's to do? He said, oh, you ought to go to Conklin. I said, what's Conklin? I said, that sounds like a Klan meeting. What's a Conklin? So he said, no, no, it's a big convention. He said, you ought to come. I said, well, yeah, whatever. And then um, maybe about uh, like two or three weeks later, I'm on this little plane. I'm going to St. Bart's for a week. And it was only like a six-passenger plane. And this guy and his wife, pretty wife, are sitting there. And, you know, a little tiny six-passenger plane. And, you know, St. Bart's is the size of a postage stamp. So you land at the little airport. I mean, this is a little single-engine prop plane, right? So you land at the airport. And you kind of, you know, having shared this experience of being terrified on a prop plane for 90 minutes going over the Bermuda Triangle. So you've kind of bonded a little bit. You're joking around. <laughs> And they say, well, you know, I'll see you around, you know, and then the next day you're kind of at one of the five restaurants and they're sitting there for lunch. Hey, how you doing? So then by the end of the week, you know, I've now got to know these people a little bit and keep bumping into them. We have dinner together. Okay, fine. Well, have a good life. So, and, and I knew he worked, they lived in Memphis and he was a lawyer, primarily, I think a divorce lawyer. Hmm. Months later, two months later, my offices were down near LAX and I get a call and this guy says, Hey, what are you doing? I'm in town and you want to meet for a drink? I said, you know, I go divorce lawyer from Memphis. What's he doing in LA? You know, why is he all the way out here? And so, you know, I said, so what are you doing? He said, Oh, I'm going up to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I'm going to induct a chapter. I said, chapter of what? Oh, my fraternity. What fraternity? Oh, signify epsilon. I said, Come on, give me a break. <laughs> And so I get talking to him, and this guy's name was Mike Williams. And he, he said, uh, and I said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I don't do anything with SIGET. He said, oh, you ought to come to Conklin. <laughs> I said, okay, this must be a sign. Either there's a conspiracy, you know. This is like, you know, this is even before QAnon, and they're telling me, you know, there's a, this thing going on. And then um, – I don't know. I'm, my guess is that they probably alerted Chuck or something. And they said, you know, there's this guy out in Hollywood who produces TV and concerts and stuff. And you ought to get him to come to Conklin. So Chuck called me up and said, hey, we want to, why don't you come and we're going to do this luncheon. And, you know, maybe you could do a little video or something like that to announce his fundraising campaign. We're going to do. So I said, okay. So I had never been to one before and I didn't know what they did. And I, I can, uh, I will say it now, I shared it at the time, you know, I, I found out later on that they were, you know, kind of a glorified PTA meeting. Um, and so, you know, I got my guys to produce a video and I called a buddy of mine in DC who had a laser company and I brought in a lighting guy and a sound <laughs> and I put on the luncheon. <laughs> and I always remember I had uh I set it up that it was going to introduce um, uh, Kurt Carlson and Bill Schreier. So Kurt owned Radisson and Bill was chairman of the board of Merrill Lynch, right? And they were kind of, you know, these two older guys, probably younger than I am, but at the time they felt like two older guys. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I said, now, Kurt, you're going to walk out and you're going to stand right here on this spot and this laser cone is going to come down over your head. And then at the when the music changes, it's going to flip up and make a ceiling over the audience. And they're kind of they're kind of joking around like Laurel and Hardy. They were funny. I mean, they're best buddies, right? But they were funny guys. Yeah. And uh, he says, "Well, what happens if I step out of the cone?" And Schreier looks at him and says, "You're going to be sterile for the rest of your life." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Anyway, they were, so we did that, and you know, and I remember Chuck White afterwards. He thought. 
kind of like, holy shit, what was that? <laughs> like that whole <laughs> luncheon thing, right? I said, well, I don't know. You said you wanted me to produce a lunch. So that's how I got, you know, I got back involved. And it was, uh, you know, I don't think they quite knew what they were getting. I think they just thought I produced some stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I just did it for fun. I hadn't put on big events like that. And probably by that time I was... 10 years away from that, but I had a pretty good staff who pulled it together for me. So yeah, they messed and, up. They thought they were just getting themselves into a few, few fancy yeah. lunches and videos <laughs> and gosh, darn it. They got a, a lifelong volunteer out of it. I thought I'd bring some streamers or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> I it was it. fun. And it, uh, so I got back, you know, and that got me back involved. But what was, you know, and I, and I and I've used this before in some of my, when I've spoken to the chapter, you know, what I walked into was, um, uh, you know, there were a thousand kids and I, and I, please, I use, I use kids, not in a dismissive term to me that how I address younger people, which now is most people. But so I walk in, there's a thousand kids. They're in suit and tie. They've got manners. Uh, uh, they address me as sir. They're polite. They're intelligent. And, you know, I've been, just spent, you know, by then 20 years in a business where I jokingly say, uh, yo mofo is considered a complete sentence, you know, and I, in my industry, I'd say, you know, I don't see a lot of people that are going to be paying for my social security someday. So to be exposed back to these kids that I think are, it's the wrong term, rule the world, rule the word, world, mm. or lead the world, like probably a better term. I thought, oh, this is refreshing, and this is where I should spend my energy. And they were, they were kids of all, you know, all races, all religions, all gender identities. I mean, this was like, oh, this is a diverse group of kids that are going to be the leaders for our diverse world. Mm -hmm. And learning how to do it now. And they've got, a, I just thought it was a cool experience. You know, I, yeah. I, I've made it my mission when I find, you know, SIG uh, apps who've lost touch to say, just come to Conclave. I don't care if you do anything else, you know, take two days, three days out of your life and, you know, come for three days. If you go home and we never see from you again, hear from you again, okay, that's your business. Just, you know, show up to Conclave. It will restore your faith in humanity to see these kids. Yeah. So that's what it did to me. And once I, you know, once I had that experience, it was like I'd been baptized. I'd come to Jesus. I said, okay, sign me up. I'm here. Caught, uh, I'll do whatever I can do. Caught cigarette fever after just one conclave. And, <laughs> and so, so you, you described that like refreshing. Okay. You, you, you've, you've gotten back involved and this would have been probably what early nineties. What then has kept yeah, I think you? It was 91. 91. Yeah. So what yeah. has kept you then? What's kept that fire stoked? If you will, what's, What's continued to push you uh, to stay involved with the with the fraternity and continue to give back? Well, first off, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was almost like you know. And Tom Barton and I've joked about it for a long time. I mean, you know, I I, I enjoy fundraising, but what we uh, the both of us have the philosophy that you've got to put fun into fundraising. And, you know, like I said, in my undergraduate days, yeah, we worked hard. We did a lot of good things. We did, you know, we did some bad things, but we had a good time. And, you know, I don't, I think you've got to maintain a certain degree of levity in everything you do in life. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, for me, it was to get me out of the bubble of the entertainment business. Yeah. You know, it was funny. I was talking to Barton last night. And uh, we were talking about financial returns and different investment programs and everything. And after about 10 minutes, I said, okay, Barton, that's great. But realistically, do you think Sean Mendes is going to be able to go from number 11 to number 10 on the pop charts? I said, let's <laughs> deal with something that's important. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, you know, that's the world I live in. Mm -hmm. So it's very much a little isolated bubble. I mean, we worry about, you know, TV ratings and TVQ and, you know, and, and what director is doing this film and blah, all this stuff that in the scheme of life doesn't mean a rat's ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yes, it does. And, you know, yeah. uh, that'll be the quote that gets out to the industry. But it's, we, we get wrapped up in our own little world. SIGEP reminds me, no, there's a big world out there. 
And I'll tell you, I remember one time, uh, oh, it might have been around that same year, and Chuck White said, come on, I'm going to have lunch with the Zollinger Scholars. And this was like 10 kids or whatever. That, I don't know. I think we changed it now. It used to be this confusing program where the senior got the scholarship, but he picked a sophomore to get the money. I don't know. It was some complicated thing like that. Okay. But the bottom line was, I think the whole scholarship was, you got like $250. And so we're sitting at this lunch and just Chuck and I and 10 or 11 of these kids who had been prior recipients. And I always remember this one kid said, well, because I got that scholarship, I was able to buy my books for med school for to study for med school. And I, I, I didn't have to have a second job to get that money. So I didn't have, I was able to spend that time reading the books I was able to buy because of that scholarship. And I got, into med school and I'm in my second year of residency and it was all because of a check for two and I I I told um, and you know this is going to sound obnoxious elitist but I looked at Chuck and I said I spend more than 250 on lunch if I take somebody out to lunch I said this is crazy wow. that for 250 bucks, we can change a kid's life. You know, that is so outside of my world that, I mean, that's what SIGEP gives me as perspective and shows me, you know, get outside of my own little ivory tower and see what can be done out there that really has meaning and accomplishes something. Wow. I got off track, but it was just. No, no, and that's, a that's, such a powerful, that. that's such a powerful memory there, too. Um, wow, that's that's really deep, and I think it almost scratches on something that that you've shared with with other speeches that you've given as well. I, I believe it was um, it was that 2017 message at, at Conclave, you know, really the unifying message. But you'd shared then that um, you get asked a lot by your friends in the entertainment industry if you're if you're proud to be a frat boy, and, mm -hmm. and you respond to them, "No, I'm proud to be a fraternity man." Uh, and, and it seems yeah. that, you know, what you've previously shared so far, that, that that sense of pride fuels a lot of that. So can you tell me, like, like to, to one, to what do you attribute that difference there between the, the frat boy and the fraternity man that, that you try to describe to your friends there? And, you know, that that pride, what's what's the source of that pride for you in the, in the organization? I, I guess it's because I have a pretty in-depth look at who's out there in SIGEP land. And these are people, whether they're an 18 year old or an 80 year old, these are people of conviction and um, commitment and, and concern for the world. And they're, you know, whether they're, you know, some of the guys are in 100% into raising their families beautifully. Some of them are a hundred percent into their careers, but you know, or they're volunteering or, you know, you don't, I don't see a bunch of slackers and you know, it's the, the animal house frat boy image is just to me, just isn't what I see when I look at Sig Yeah. We've got, we've got some bozos, you know, we all do. Mm -hmm. But I think that percentage is dropping. Uh, I think those those kind of guys just take a look at us and go, "Oh, that's not me." You know, mm -hmm. we look at them and they look at us and they go, "This isn't going to work." You know, try next door. And uh, you know, even even though we had our own, you know, as an undergraduate, even though we had our own yahoos. Um, Every one of these guys uh, became something to, you know, to varying degrees, but, you know, they're not just a bunch of bums. Yeah. Uh, they're all, they're all on the path to accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. I mean, yeah, we could party with the best of them. Uh, 
you know, I joke with some of the some of the alums now. I mean, you know, they're loud and crazy guys. But, you know, at the same time they're they're jumped in both feet to their career or their community or their family or their faith. They don't do things halfway. Yeah. I love that. And even from that too, that, that focus that you, you have on, on just the, the person, right. The, the brother that's, whether it's the ambitious brother that's being able to buy their med books or, you know, in this case, it's just a, a go-getter that's going to go out and be that balance leader in their community. It seems like you've always had that focus and even, even your acceptance speech when you, uh, had been called up to, to serve as grand president. Um, I think that line that stands out to me is just the point you make that SIGEP symbol is a, a heart and not a calculator. Mm-hmm. And that it's a fraternity and not a fortune 500 company. And I'm curious if you don't mind expanding on that, like, you know, what message, you know, going back to your sit, standing there, giving that address, like what message were you trying to impart there? Well, I, I, I think because, we have a tendency we can you know we have a, we all evaluate things based on numbers we look at the amount of money raised we look at the amount of number of new members we look at the receivables we look at where we rank versus other fraternities versus other social organizations that's fine and that's all good and those are you know those are good measurables and you know to simplify things that's a, that's a good way to evaluate anything but at the end of the day, it's the individual and it's the person and it's the commitment or the heart of the person that matters. And ultimately, I think that's more important. There's a great Thomas Jefferson editorial, basically, or a letter he wrote to he wrote to himself where he conducted his own debate between his heart and his brain and ultimately his heart won, which is what I was kind of referring to in that. And I think that that's what's important in SIGEP, too, is at the end of the day, it's the individual and it's the heart of the individual that matters the most. Now, I think I think the numbers are the result of that. Um, you know, I was with some friends at CNN and I was telling them that it's fascinating to me that if you take the stereotypical image of, you know, a frat and, you know, and I go ballistic on them whenever they use frat on a newscast. I said, oh, don't use that word. That's a four-letter <laughs> word. Can't use that word. <laughs> I'm getting there slowly. I'll get there. <laughs> but, you know, if you if you take the stereotypical image of of frat and then you compare that to Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity, they don't match. They just don't match. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I'm on my own one man mission to educate them that there's a considerable difference between, you know, I said, you know, when I told them about things we've done, uh, I had a uh, conversation one night, with Barbara Boxer used to be the Senator from California. I was telling Barbara, I said, said, do you remember Ron Brown? She said, Oh yeah. She knew him well when he was secretary of commerce under President Clinton. I said, well, you know, Ron was the first African-American member of a national fraternity. Oh, I didn't know. I said, you know what fraternity? Well, she knew where I was going. (laughs) They catch on. Yeah, 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 she's caught on. (laughs) Been hitting her over the head with it for years. But so you say, okay, look at, look at, okay, take Animal House over here. Then then take SIGEP that in 1959 passed our own, you know, civil rights amendment five years before the civil rights amendment was passed, mm-hmm. you know, 1999 opened the doors to gay kids long before the government took any action about equal opportunity. And then uh, a couple of years ago, we said, you know, let's chill out about transgender kids. Not up to us. I mean, again, long before the, you know, those or, or the, or, you know, a substance free housing that was passed a couple of years ago at Conclave by, by the undergraduates. Yeah, this wasn't an edict that came down from high. This was like, <laughs> you know, a lot of alums said, "What do you mean I can't have a drink at the chapter?" You know, but you know, take those things, Caleb, and apply them to the public image of a frat. They don't fit. 
Now, you know, yeah. I'm I'm proud of Sig Epp for being the leader on all this stuff and being the first one out of the gate. But, you know, I know it's gradually happening in other fraternities too, and that's great. But we just have to do a better job, I think, of communicating to the public that frat isn't us. That's something else. We have nothing to do with that. Maybe we have the same roots, but, you know, the roads diverged a long time ago, and we took the one less traveled by. And fortunately, it's the one that is more traveled by now. Yeah. And eventually it will be the only one. Just take time and patience. We'll get there. Hopefully very soon. I, I, I love that comparison and, and just the way that you out, outlined it all, too. So, I mean, even with that being, you know, one of your utmost priorities as you went into, you know, your two-year stint as grand president, you know, when you look back at those two years, what are you most proud of accomplishing? And because um, I mean, those were pretty pivotal, pivotal years, right? So, what are you most proud of when you look back at that time period? Well, I think the the, the simple answer is the proudest thing I'm the thing I'm most proud of is hiring Brian Warren um, to become our executive director. You know, I told Brian, uh, and I, I I remember in my uh, Closing comments, you know, the night the night before they kick you out after your two years after your sentence is up. Um, I told Brian, I made I had some comment in there because when when we hired Brian, you know, I, I don't know, twenty seven years old, twenty six years old, and uh, I was hired by American Broadcasting Company to be vice president, general manager of a division of the company when I was about the same age, and I was. Uh, Young, youngest executive in that level at the time. And my boss back in New York got a lot of grief, like, you know, who's that kid? <laughs> and, you know, I it, it wasn't intentional. It was only in hindsight that I realized that we went through the same thing when we hired Brian. You know, you know this kid is only blah, blah, blah. What do you mean he's going to be the executive director? Like, oh, shut up, all of you. So... <laughs> You know, so that was one of my proudest things was to do that. But I think the other thing, and it's SIGEP uh, at the time was um, kind of split down the middle, and there were competing competing groups or groups within the organization that felt left out of the process. And one of my goals was to. Uh, pull back the curtain and operate more in transparency. And as I, as I told Brian, I said, my, my, my hope is that headquarters over communicates. I said, I, I, I dream of the day that, um, I, I won't mention their names, but there were, there were quite a few people who were notorious for complaining all the time that they never heard from headquarters and never knew what was going on. And I said, I, I dream of the day when I get an email from somebody saying, Jesus, tell them to stop sending me all these emails. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we got there. I mean, it's been a long process, but I think, you know, communicate, operate in transparency, be open about your decisions and discussions. And, and it's, and we healed the wounds and, we got everybody back in the boat all rowing in the same direction most of the time. Once in a while, you get a guy going, what are you doing? Hey, don't <laughs> row that way. <laughs> yeah. Out of the boat. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love no, that. but most of the time, we're all, we're all generally pointed in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that made me most proud. You know, the hardest thing to me was to, you know, I had a list of 10 objectives uh, before I took office that I outlined, I got most of them done. But there's, you know, I, I at one point I had hoped, well, maybe when I got older and had more time, I could come back and do it again. But that's all changed. So anyway, it, my next life, I'll do that. But, yeah, but, that we'll just postpone that for the, the next life. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I joke with the guys, you know, it's funny. And we all, we all, anybody who's been grand president knows. So, you know, you, um, you know, the, the, the first conclave, when you get elected, you're, it's kind of a daze. And then, you, you know, hopefully if you plan ahead, you kind of know what you hit the ground running. 
So the two years go by, and for sometimes it feels like, oh my God, this is going on forever, because you know <laughs> most of us get used to the idea, especially out here on the West Coast. You know, I got up and my the first hour of every morning was sit up, because get up early, spend an hour on the phone, catching up, taking care of business before I would go back to my real life. Um, so that kind of becomes a pattern. And then whatever you do, fly in and give speeches or show up at events and that kind of stuff. Um, so then the second conclave comes along and, you know, your retirement dinner. And so, so you know, Saturday night of your second conclave is, oh, God, you are wonderful. We worship the ground you walk on, blah, 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 blah. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know, like, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. And so you, you go home on Sunday. Monday morning, you get up, and there are no phone calls. Mm. And Tuesday morning, there are no phone calls. <laughs> and and Wednesday, you go outside to see maybe somebody cut the phone line. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all joked about it because you just kind of go, "Oh, I guess <laughs> I guess I don't matter anymore." <laughs> I have this I have this extra hour now every morning. I don't know what to do with. It's just <laughs> I mean, you want to go stand in front of the mirror and go. Do you know who I used to be? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I used to be somebody. <laughs> At that point, your sentence is up and the phone calls are done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's it's an exclusive club to be a part of, the, the former Grand yeah, President Club. Yeah, it's like the, oh, we should have a parolee get-together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what's awesome, too, is like even before like the phone calls stopped – um, and you're wondering what the heck's going on here uh, as your as your sentence came to an end uh, it ended in a pretty cool way as you wrap up you know being the 55th grand president receiving the the OGH as mm -hmm. well Pr a pretty cool pretty cool moment and you know you can tell how much it meant to you just watching the video uh, definitely a just a, a quick thank you, a very heartfelt thank you. So I'm curious, take me through, you know, what did that, what did that mean to you receiving the OGH on that night? And, you know, what emotions were you feeling there? Well, it was totally unexpected. It was a complete surprise. Um, they did it, you know, uh, you think you're in the loop and you know everything that's going on, but they snuck that in on it. So it came out of nowhere. Um, I borderline turned into a blubbering idiot, uh, as I am apt to do. You know, I tell people the older you get, you 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 cry more often and you pee more often. And hopefully, <laughs> I only did one that night. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh now. <laughs> Wait till you get old, kid. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but uh, uh, no, it was uh, it was uh, it was truly was a culmination of you know everything that SIGEP meant to me. Uh, you know, quite an honor here on my wall, my study at home. Uh, you know, it was funny. Uh, uh, Bruce Hazenkamp, who was grand president for a time, a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, you know, I, I remember when the, that very first conclave that I went up to back in D.C., I guess, 91, 89, 91. Um, Bruce was the incoming grand president. Okay. And uh, one night, and Bruce was a conservative Republican from Northern California had been a uh, White House fellow after he graduated from college. And he started uh, telling the story of going to Conclave in 1959. And he was the undergraduate at Conclave who wrote the bylaw amendment to eliminate uh, any restrictions based on the color of one's skin. So anyway, 
this is such a great moment. Uh, so Bruce walked out and told the story of doing that as an undergraduate now. You know, it was controversial. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then he said, and I want to introduce, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. No, and he no. said, I want to introduce our first African-American member and out walked around Brown. And Caleb, I got to tell you, I mean, I lost it like I, <laughs> I lost it like I'm losing it now. And the place lost it. So. I remember Bruce had a, a, a saying, and I hit it wrong, but he said, some guys come into the CFs like shooting stars, and they shoot, and then they burn out, and that's it, and you never hear from them again. And when you talk about the OGH, all I could think of was, I don't want to be a shooting star. The OGH was great, but I don't want to burn out. That's not going to be the end. I want to keep giving back. So that's the thought that was in my head. Mm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for, for sharing. That. I, I can't. What a amazing moment. I, I imagine I can just oh, picture. Crazy. I can picture but that. None of us knew that. I mean, I would, I, I was, I, well, I'm sure some people did, but. I'd, I mean, you know, uh, Conclave is primarily undergraduates. They didn't yeah. know that story. Yeah. We're 300 alums. I'm sure most of the alums didn't know that. I'm sitting there with my still, you know, limited impression or li of what SIGEP is and limited knowledge of what SIGEP had become. And then to hear this story from this guy who I knew, I knew would come from what most people would think was just a total opposite political background. And yet to be the guy who would introduce something that, you know, truthfully had nothing to do with politics, but just had to do with what's right. Yeah. And then for Ron Brown to walk out and, and surprise us. I mean, this is like, this is pretty terrific. Yeah. That's amazing. That's probably, that's probably when they hooked me more than I said, okay. That, that's okay. I got it. They've, they've got me for life now. Darn it. <laughs> you got me for life. That Lord, I'm in. <laughs> so, and I love that example too, where, you know, the, the OGH for you, it sounds like it wasn't the capstone experience of a very, very amazing SIGIP journey to that point. You were almost just getting started. And I think that's pretty clear as, as you've continued to give back and, and, and more and more honors. And I mean, the most recent, just being, being the namesake for the, the Keefe house. The, the beautiful property right behind the Zollinger house. Absolutely awesome, awesome facility. Yeah, um, we're going to turn it into a home for old G GPs. <laughs> yeah, Hartman's is going to be on the second floor. We're gonna, <laughs> we figure, we'll get him up the stairs once and never be able to get down and bubbles again. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and, and what's funny is the Keefe house isn't even your greatest SIGEP honor as well. I, th I think personally the the – the Gary Keith bobblehead being auctioned off at the game. <laughs> I think that has to be the top. That has to be the very tip top. Oh no. You I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That, is, that's that cracked me up. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't be there for that, but that was fun. Oh my gosh. It, it was, it was funny. My, I was just, I was chuckling the entire time, but yeah, <laughs> So, I mean, between all of that, though, I mean, because we talked about the OGH. I mean, before that, even there was a citation. Now, the being the namesake of the Keefe House, like, what do all these these honors collectively mean for you? Um, I mean, you've you've already made it clear just, you know, how much the SIGEP experience and just this, this fraternity means to you. But, you know, what do some of those honors mean to you personally? Listen, it's nice to be recognized by your peers for a job well done. Um, you know, but uh, to me, they're really motivators to do more. I think. I don't know. I wish I had something more profound to say, but that's really the way I look at them. I think it's great. No, I, I don't doubt that. I mean, especially even just looking at the the sheer amount of philanthropy work 
that that you've been able to do um i i can totally see that uh you know my uh my parents came from nothing my mom was adopted as an infant um and my brother and i were raised in the household where it was just understood that if you had the ability to give back yeah that was part of living but I, I i would now call it living a balanced life i didn't think of it at the time but that's part of having balance in your life is to um you know it, it's funny i have a really good friend we've been buddies forever uh, he lives back east. Um, he's um, very successful financially, but I'd say miserable in life. And I think I think his biggest problem is that he doesn't have perspective. Yeah. And I keep pushing him to volunteer to expose himself to people outside of his zone to get a handle on other people. I mean, you know, he, he makes a, a significant salary and yet never has any money and is always complaining that he never has any money. And when I tried to explain to him one time that he was in the top 2% of America in earnings, it was beyond him. I said, you got to get out there and see what it's like to live on $25,000 a year instead of $250,000 a year. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's the silent understanding that I had growing up as a kid was giving back and participating, whether it's, financially or your time or your wisdom or your skills or if it's you know hanging streamers up at the high school gym or whatever you can do that's part of living a balanced life a powerful message i that's fantastic well we we really hit everything from living a balanced life through volunteering some really impactful moments through the sig of career whether it's bobbleheads houses uh, it, it's been big, but I, I absolutely have to, to do our lightning round. So it's my last ditch attempt to try to squeeze as much wisdom and insight out of uh, our guests as we can. So okay. you, you're ready for the lightning round? Yeah. So first question is, uh, what is the most impactful book that you've ever read? I think the book that hit me the most was something I read probably about 1970 or 71. It was called How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the Bible of libertarian thinking. Awesome. Um, you know, I haven't read it in a long time. I, might, my, I wonder if I go back and read it now, if I might go, oh my God, I don't believe that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I remember at the time that it was, you know, it was one of those books I kept with me that I had it through, you know, basic training and artillery school and OCS and everything else. I kind of always, that's where I would thumb through and go, oh yeah, oh, I see. This was all right. Nice. I like that. Next question is, uh, it could be either quote or advice, but uh, either a quote or a piece of advice that you try to live your life by on a, on a daily basis. Well, the kids who were on the last quest with me a couple of years ago will know that I added a word uh, to this phrase that I stole from Nike. But, but the clean version is just do it. <laughs> and I'd encourage them at the time, you know, I, um, what I've experienced with the quest is we find so many of these great type A uh, kids um, and I would tease them and say you know when they when they cut your umbilical cord they stapled on a to-do list <laughs> and I said you've all got these little to-do lists hanging from your bellies it says you know play soccer learn mandarin do that 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 <laughs> that, 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 that I said sometimes you just got to do what you want to do 
and be spontaneous <laughs> and just fucking do it, dude. Don't stop and think about everything. Sometimes you got to go with your gut and, you know, and so that became our phrase on the quest was just fucking do it. <laughs> so yeah, my phrase would be, you know, as Nike says, you know, for a PG audience, it would be just do it. That so You got to go with your gut or your heart and not overthink everything. That might be my favorite answer to that question out of, <laughs> out of all of the, the podcast interviews so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, similar to the, the quoter, the wisdom, you have this hypothetical billboard for the entire world to see every SIGEP undergraduate to see what are you putting on that billboard and why? Mm. Hmm. Well, I actually have it in my office and it's stolen because it was used during Churchill during the war. Uh, but I, I'd probably put keep calm and carry on. Mm. Fantastic. You know, that's uh, my company, we, we jokingly referred we jokingly at times said we should rename it eye of the storm management because while everything else is going crazy our job has to be to keep calm and just keep moving on you know i've had uh, oh i don't know someday if i write a book about experiences and you know i've had Fires backstage midway between the show. I've had electricity go out. I've had uh, uh, planes unable to take off because of snowstorms. I've had people come down sick. I've had, uh, know. you know, and the um, the audience, the, the viewer, the consumer, they don't want to know your problems. Mm. You know, it's like. They just want to sit there and enjoy the TV show or enjoy the concert or the play or whatever it is. Um, so my job is always to just keep calm, carry on. Keep calm, we'll get carry through. on. I think our country could use that right now. I, I would agree. Uh, the next one I, I have, and you've already dropped quite a few um, big SIGEP names, but a, a SIGET mentor that's positively impacted your life, most influenced your life, and uh, the biggest lesson that you learned from them? Well, there's two in different ways. Uh, I think Mike Williams would have to be the one who's most influenced my life because Mike and his wife Gabe Williams, I mean, not only did I meet them early on, but they encouraged me to get back involved. But they really are the they really are the definition of living a balanced life. I mean, they have a great life. They're, I mean, they're they are wonderful, wonderful people who do amazing things and have a, a, a tremendous uh, a breadth of in, interest and friendships and interest. And they also keep calm and carry on. Like it's like the pillar of stability. And, I don't know. It's just they're great examples. Um, um, Tom Barton, who I didn't meet, and you know he's been involved forever, but I didn't really connect with him until maybe I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I just I love this guy. He's my salt of the earth brother. You know, and you know it's to a certain degree we're like oil and water, and yet. The, the best of friends. He's just like this guy I can count on. I mean, if he was, uh, if I was in a car wreck in Zimbabwe, I'd probably call Martin. Really, he's just an amazing guy. And then I think that, and then I said to me, actually, the third one, I'd have to say Bill Dragers. You know, Bill drives me absolutely nuts, and I probably do the same to him. Um, but I think the most telling thing Bill told me, and it's, it's um, in a way it's kind of funny because 
I think most people consider Bill somewhat of a dictator um, because he is. But the uh, Bill told me before when I told him I was I probably wanted to be grand president. He he told me he said just remember democracy is messy, and it was like and I I've shared that with my people who've come on after me. It's like it's they come get everybody involved mm -hmm. you know make a fair decision move the group you know we're like this big battleship we don't make a hard left or a hard right we kind of <laughs> <laughs> and it's messy you got a bunch of different opinions but the real way to get something done is to engage everybody yeah and try to build consensus and move along that way and you know it's I think, I don't know who will listen to this. Some people might be surprised to know that those words came from Bill's lips. But I know that's his philosophy. It may not always come through that way, but that's his philosophy. And it's a, it's been, it was very helpful to me and is helpful to me. Three outstanding names. And then last but not least, my personal favorite question to ask. Uh, never know where it's going to go, but the walkout song. So we're controlling the ox cord in the back. You're about to you're about to make the walk up to the stage to to roast whatever brother is up next. What what song are we blaring in the overhead system as you're doing your walk up? Um, it would have to be Tina Turner wailing away on "Simply the Best." Simply the best. Okay. Not just about me, but about everybody who's in the room. That's awesome. Because, you, know, you know, it's <laughs> as I say that, I thought, oh, God, this is going to get compared to Melania's Be Best campaign. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, I think we can create our own reality. And I think that if we view ourselves as simply the best, that we can achieve that. That's great. That's I think everybody in the room believes that they can be the best. We can be the best. And that's what I hope we are. I love the reasoning behind it. And it just adds even more diversity to the answers that I've gotten. I've gotten everything from ACDC with, with Tom to, to <laughs> not simply, simply the best. So, oh my gosh, I've got to say, this has been a ridiculous amount of fun uh, to record this. I, I can't think Thanks, enough for, for being on the podcast. This is, this is great. Thank you. Well, it's been a, it's been a great morning. Thank you so much. So you can edit this down to about five minutes and it'll be worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that wraps up this episode of Our Very Own Balanced Men. I hope you enjoyed the stories, insights, and much more from everything that Brother Keith had to share. So much valuable uh, content within there that I'm glad that we got uh, a chance to record. Uh, stay tuned. As I mentioned before, we have some very exciting episodes coming up, uh, including uh, Brother Steve Hofstetter and Brother brian warren and we'll have much more episodes rolling out here in the few months moving forward so until then thanks for listening to our very own balanced men mm -hmm.